the technology is what's allowed us to be able to make those decisions quite a bit quicker than we used to, understand the vehicle a little bit more than we used to. So that's really what's transformed the racing industry over the past couple decades. Hello and welcome to another edition of the AEM Thinking Forward podcast, advancing the equipment manufacturing industry. I'm Dusty Weiss, AEM's professional nerd, wheelman, and podcast host, and you're in for a holiday treat with this episode. In the world of racing, Team Penske stands as an unrivaled success, but it turns out that they've got a lot to teach equipment manufacturers about collecting and analyzing data off high-performance machines. So we'll be talking to Team Penske engineer Carlos Gutierrez about why, from an engineer's perspective, there's a lot of crossover between racing and earth moving. But it's that sort of paradigm-bending perspective that we work to bring you here on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Each month, we explore a new subject area to help keep your business on the cutting edge of the industry. So if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed so that you're updated every time we put out a new edition. Just click the show name in your podcast app and then scroll down past the episodes to the subscribe button. And as long as you're down there, you can do me a big favor and rate or comment on our show. Your comments help other industry pros like you find our podcast and help me make this show more relevant to what you do. Either way, I'd appreciate it if you took the time to give us a little bit of feedback. Now, it's not often that you get to listen to a podcast about stock cars and indie cars and write it off as professional development. But when it comes to IoT data capture and analysis, it turns out that there's a lot of crossover with the heavy equipment industry. Think about it. In both cases, we're talking about high-performance machines, extreme conditions, brute force, and a demand for optimal performance. So, AEM held the last Thinking Ford event of 2018 at Penske Racing Headquarters in Mooresville, North Carolina. We got a behind-the-scenes tour of the facility where they assemble their race cars, and we learned how they use IoT machine data to optimize performance from Penske engineer Carlos Gutierrez himself. Most of our listeners will probably know Penske for the 22 car, the Shell Pipeline sponsorship, drivers like Rusty Wallace, Ricky Taylor, Elio Castroneves, uh, certainly another one, but Penske has been a force in the racing world for decades now. So, Carlos, thank you so much for joining us on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Thanks for having me. Penske just celebrated its 500th win. The company has a 50-year history in racing. How has the technology changed in that time, the technology that's going into these racing cars? Uh, the technology has changed tremendously over the years, and I think the most important part of the technology that's changed is the ability to communicate between the drivers and the different team members, um, whether it be at the racetrack or at the shop. Um, the technology is what's allowed us to be able to make those decisions quite a bit quicker than we used to understand the vehicle a little bit more than we used to through simulation, through training, through the instrumentation on the sensors. So that's really what's transformed the racing industry over the past uh, couple decades, really. And some people will look at this and they'll think, well, okay, racing, what does this have to do with the heavy equipment industry? Of course, our members at AEM build heavy construction and agriculture equipment, but when you boil it right down to it, you're 
cars operate in extreme circumstances. There's extreme heat, extreme vibration, extreme elements from the weather. The metal in your cars and the frames is subjected to incredible forces. So we see a lot of overlap uh, with our members' equipment as well, which operate also in very often extreme environments. How does uh, some of the lessons that you shared with our members today translate to what they're doing? The environments, like you said, are, are pretty extreme. Um, the cars are, you know, are always operating at the maximum potential and making sure that we have, you know, even as basic things as dust protection and weather protection to make sure that the cars, regardless of the, the condition and the surface and the weather conditions that we're operating in, that they operate at the same level all the time. And that means that as we change environments, as we change different fields or different uh, tracks or circuits and things like that, that we can really understand the, the characteristics of the environment and protect against any failures that might happen because of, of different dust particles that are in the engine or in the environment at the time. You mentioned that because of those extreme environments in which your cars operate, you're using military grade sensors uh, that you're equipping them with. Some of those cars have five to six hundred sensors on them, collecting data, analyzing it in real time. What are you tracking on these cars and what's the benefit? You're absolutely right. We use a lot of really high-end motorsports rated and military grade specific sensors, connectors, uh, devices that have specific circuit boards that are graded for that type of environment, vibration and things like that. Um, we collect all sorts of information, whether it be the, the steering angle, the brake pressure, the tire pressures, the engine temperature, uh, water temperature, a lot of different types of diagnostics types of information, but also a lot of performance improvement type instrumentation that measure the forces of the aerodynamics on top of the car and things like that. Take me through, like, what does this data look like when it comes through? Are, are we just talking about streams and streams of numbers, engine temperature, forces that are being put on the car, tire pressure? What do you get off of these cars? That's exactly right. I mean, basically what it boils down to is a bunch of ones and zeros, and, and we try to map that up against a, a specific measurement that we're taking, whether it be the ride height of the vehicle or the angle of a specific component, um, you know, the tire pressures, the things like that, just like you would in your in your passenger car as well. Uh, so what we try to do is distill that information into a visualization that allows us to really take action on those things as we see how those sensors interact with each other in time. So when the driver is pressing the throttle and turning the steering wheel at the same time, we understand that that might mean something to him and how he's perceiving the, the behavior of the race car. How often are you collecting data from the sensors on your car while they're out there on the track? If the car is on track, we're typically collecting a lot of information. And those, the amount of information that we can collect can be anywhere from a thousand hertz or a thousand times per second to maybe one hertz or one time per second. So it really depends on the type of information that we're collecting. But over those thousands of data points that we're collecting, every second, we're trying to do the analysis portion on the on the timing stand side so that we can make those decisions in real time. Uh, a thousand hertz is uh, just a mind-blowing number. I mean, mm -hmm. it's one of those things that you sit down and you try to think about it. You can't subdivide a second into a thousand times, but right. computers can. Right. That's one of the really cool things about right. computers. What are you collecting at a thousand hertz? So at a thousand hertz, we might collect things like vibrations or the behavior of the acceleration of the car, whether we're braking or, or accelerating. And, and whenever you operate at those levels, it allows us to really see a macro level view of what the car is actually doing because if you take too few sample points you might not get the entire picture of what's actually happening in time so what we do with with those high rate frequency channels is is we just try to put those against basically what the other sensors are doing at that moment in time and very often you're running multiple cars on the same track 
Uh, does that give you the ability to sort of compare and contrast uh, which car is doing better and what might be going differently on that car versus the other? That's one of the great advantages at Team Penske is typically within each of our racing disciplines, whether it be NASCAR or IMSA or IndyCar, we have multi-car teams. What that allows us to do is really compare between each of the drivers, each of the cars, and, and understand because we know the differences in the setup or the configuration of the car, and we know the result of what's happening, we can really quickly tell our drivers to you know look at their teammates for different ways of approaching the corner or different ways of, of you know, interacting with the racetrack that can yield to higher performance for, the, for each team. All these measurements being taken, some of them at a thousand times a second, that must result in a ton of data storage needs and a ton of data collected. Uh, in terms of kilobytes, megabytes, gigabytes, how much data comes off a car during the course of a race? Yeah, so th it is it is quite a bit of information that's coming off the car. If we do five laps or 10 laps or something, we might have a gigabyte worth of information per per run, per car, uh, per time that we go out on the track. And, and when you couple that with the aerodynamic data that we collect and the simulation data, it gets to be quite a lot. So we rely a lot on you know our IT infrastructure here, whether it be a data center. And also we are starting to leverage a lot more of the cloud, you know, getting getting our data, you know, more accessible out to the to the consumers that are at the racetrack is really important to us. So we're using, you know, different technologies, whether it be on premise, on premises or, or in the cloud to help us store all this information. So as you explained it, there's sort of two dimensions uh, to how this data is used. There's the data that gets used on race day to tweak performance in real time. And then there's the data that gets used in the months and years that follow a race. But then the other dimension is you can use the data coming off of the car to optimize the performance of the car, or you can use the data to optimize the performance of the operator. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you do that. Yeah, you're exactly right. There are those three dimensions. We look at historical information. Um, you know, there's there's the the future, looking at different races, the same racetrack in the future, and also there's there, there's a reactive type information which we're collecting in real time, and then we try to make those decisions in real time. But where the historical information really helps us out a lot is in, in the ability to train you know our mechanics, our drivers, our race engineers to go through those simulations of existing races or past races and understand exactly why we made those decisions and train them on different ways to make those decisions or build new tools that allow us to visualize the information in a different way that gives us exactly what we need during the race. A lot of what we hear from our members who are also experimenting with the Internet of Things and collecting data on machine performance is collecting the data isn't the hard part. It's doing something with it afterwards and not just letting it sit. How do you ensure that data gets used the right way? once it's collected because you have decades worth of it. Yeah, that's that's a huge challenge and and the first the first step is for us to understand at least right now, you know, we try to save all of it as much as we can because there's new technology that's coming out that might help us make better sense of the information that we've collected. So 10 years from now or 5 years from now, we might have we might be thankful that we've collected this information. Now there's different techniques to process it because we have so much of it and then we can actually apply those into new learnings every season we try to incrementally get better and better and better at processing, analyzing visualizing, communicating the data. When you're working with teams of bright engineers, uh, what I've noticed in the past anyway is very often you have a lot of very intelligent, very high initiative people and that means they go off and they kind of do their own thing. 
And that can be problematic when it comes to collecting and analyzing data, yeah? Oh man, the, the, these guys, you know, the people at Team Penske are all really bright and they're all very smart. But like you said, they have a lot of initiative. And I think, you know, one of the challenges that we have is making sure that everybody operates on the same tools, the same software. And, and that can be challenging when you have those high initiative type people. They, they start building their own tools. They start building their own software. Um, so making sure that you have that team, that infrastructure in place, that it's driving the ship in terms of technology, the analytics, the software, um, so that you can lean on that team so that, you know, we pick the right tools and everybody's just the same one everybody's using the same calculations the same predictions that limits the amount of people that are doing the same work over and over how do you get that sort of buy-in is it just a cultural thing that you have to drive home or is there a way that you're able to sort of demonstrate no this is the way that it has to be done it, it, that is a that is a big problem the buy-in is, is always challenging and, and typically what I how I try to approach the problem is is if I see something that people are doing you know, a lot of people are doing the same thing. If I try to replace that tool with some sort of new software technology or something like that, I, I can't make a direct replacement of that tool. It has to be, you know, 10 times better than what they're currently using. So they have no choice but to use the new tool if they want the new features. And so that kind of forces them to, to buy into this to the solution, but it also makes the team potentially a little bit better. On race day, the data that you're collecting out on the track is being radioed back to a hub and then your team of engineers is watching that and making adjustments in real time, having the driver make those adjustments. What sort of adjustments are you able to make in the course of an 18 second lap and how does that impact the performance of the car? The type of adjustment differs from car to car. So each of the series have their own different uh, rules and regulations that allow the drivers to adjust different things. But they can even be non-physical adjustments in just how the driver is, is handling the tires, how the driver is behaving in terms of fuel saving. Um, you know, the, the amount that we're pushing the competitors in front of us can be managed from the timing stand as well. So in the timing stand, we can see a lot bigger picture of how the race is unfolding. And so if we might come into a portion of the race where we need to dial back our performance so that we can maybe go a little bit further further in terms of fuel consumption uh, than, than our competitors. So that might be an adjustment that we recommend to the, to the driver to say, don't push the cars hard. We need the tires to last maybe two laps longer than you did the last time. Um, so he knows how to adjust his driving style, you know, how aggressive he is on the braking and, and that sort of thing so that we can unfold the plan that we want to unfold for the race. And you showed us uh, an example of the steering wheel from uh, one of your race cars and it looks more like a video game controller than anything that I've got in any of my cars. With how complicated the controls are for these cars, how important is it to onboard your drivers and how do you do that? Just like with any engineer or with any mechanic, you know, the drivers are just are a critical component of our, our race team and making sure that they understand all the controls and all the options and all the settings that they have to adjust, you know, when they're going 230 miles an hour is very, very important for us, not only for performance, but for safety as well. So we take an extra step to make sure that we give them the documentation, the manuals and simulation type tools that give them the understanding of what are the things that they can expect while on the racetrack and what do they have to adjust, where it is in the cockpit, what, what are the types of things that you know that we we require them to know to remember what what can they call us for uh, and how do they do that really quickly another thing that we hear from our members who experiment with this kind of technology is that uh, when it comes to training the operators of heavy equipment or in your case the drivers of these cars making the data that's collected as simple and accessible as possible is key if you can't present the data in a way that's manageable people just tune it out mm -hmm. um, and so that gets into this issue of dashboarding what tool do you use to keep that data accessible 
it's it's always going to be a combination of third party software and in house software. You know, not not too different from let's just say an Excel or or different BI type tools that exist in, in Tableau or Power BI or things that Microsoft makes or whatever. So so there's going to be this combination for the different types of information that you're trying to visualize. If the consumer is going to be this race strategist, we might present it in a different way than it would be if it's the race engineer. Or if it's the driver, we might present the information a little bit differently that he can interact with and that he can communicate his information back to us. So it really depends on the consumer. But we do rely on a combination of these third-party tools that are built by the data manufacturers and also you know some tools that we build in-house. Looking ahead to the next 10 years, what new piece of technology or outside disruptor is going to come in and change the way that you do business? It's already happening, and there's different series that are that are challenging the way that we race right now, and there's fully electric series. There's different things that are happening um, from an endurance standpoint, whereas we used to go 500 miles with 200 gallons of fuel. Now we're doing it with 120 gallons of fuel. So these are the different types of technologies that are really challenging the engine manufacturers, challenging the chassis manufacturers. And I think that's part of, of what's going to be disruptive in the next 10 years, but also in how the teams communicate within each other, within their different teams and their different team members, is going to be very, very critical to making sure that as we converge to the solution, that we converge a little bit quicker than our competitors because this information is available to everybody. But how do we visualize it? How do we communicate it? How do we store it? How do we you know, retrieve it whenever we need to retrieve it quicker than our competitors, that's going to be the biggest difference maker, I think. When it comes to managing multiple massive data streams, artificial intelligence and adaptive learning is another area that's developing and really starting to make an impact in our industry. Although, again, nobody's really sure exactly what that impact is going to be or how they're going to incorporate that. How are you going to work artificial intelligence into your data streams? I think we the key is to start small. We, we we start small with very basic predictions that we can really quickly validate. You know, whereas somebody might have kind of internal racing instinct from being in racing for 20 years to make some sort of specific adjustment, we can really try to leverage those AI tools or, or machine learning tools to solve that problem. And then it, the race engineer can validate the answers that the tool's giving, and we can learn from that. Um, so starting small in that world has helped us a lot in making sure that we understand what the answers that they're giving us are. But then we can really push that a little bit further into the simulation uh, technologies that we're using to really predict what the car is going to do prior to uh, showing up to the racetrack so we know which adjustments to make you know, when the conditions change. You presented earlier today to a group of 30-ish AEM members, engineers from all around the country, and I have to say they hung on your every word. So be honest, you can admit it. You have the coolest engineering job in the world right now, right? Oh, I have a great job. I've never denied that. And, you know, I, I've never worked in anywhere else but racing. And I appreciate the opportunity to represent Team Penske like this because it's um, it's truly a special world. There's a lot of different things um, that we do here. And, and I think it's an exciting world because it's always changing. We're always trying to solve very difficult problems. But what I enjoy most about this job is that I get to work with really smart people um, that always push me to, to, to investigate new technologies and things like that so that we can deliver and beat our competitors because they're doing the same thing. Well, Carlos Gutierrez from Team Penske, uh, race engineer, thank you so much for joining us on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to, to be able to talk to you guys and learn from your, your side of the world as well as, as the racing and how that integrates is, is, is pretty interesting because it's not too dissimilar from what we do. Carlos had some great tips, by the way, for how equipment manufacturers can make the best use possible out of machine data. I'll put a link to that article uh, that I wrote about that in the show notes, so make sure that you check that out as well. And the give and take between Carlos and the other folks at our Penske Racing Thinking Forward event was actually pretty neat to see. 
It's always fascinating to watch the results when you put a bunch of really smart people in a room together. Jake Gaylord is the technical training manager at Wacker Newson and took away some important insights about leveraging the power of data. Well, I think the uh, one of the biggest points that I've pinpointed is that uh, data is great, but if we don't have a, an end use for the customer, it's no good to anybody. So the voice of the customer in terms of how they want to digest that data and improve their operations is key for us as manufacturers. And Casey Watts is the engineering supervisor at Link Belt. Carlos was great. What he does with the data they collect on the race cars and how they apply to better performance is right up our alley. Um, I do a lot of the, I want to say similar things with our cranes, but obviously not nearly as exciting. But uh, just what to do when you get all that data, how to as he, as he went through the steps of consolidation, documentation, and then applying that to make decisions. You kind of, you put yourself down there when you say that you're not on the same level as professional racing because, as Carlos pointed out, a lot of the equipment that AEM members build is called upon to operate under really extreme circumstances. Uh, there's high temperature, high vibrations. So I think there are a lot of lessons that uh, he covered that might be applicable. But uh, did you hear anything that you could take back to Link Belt with you and uh, help you start to incorporate this sort of technology in your own equipment? For sure. Um, I think taking what we collect and being able to quickly make decisions, even with the design and development of cranes, that's really helpful. We do sometimes struggle with getting it together, and then there's not clear communication, and it's hard to really get the information to the right people quickly to make the decision and help our product development cycle be as quick as we can to get to market. How has Link Belt started to incorporate this technology so far? Similar to what he said, we're trying to not rely on operator feedback alone. We're trying to get enough data that we still uh, listen to what they have to say, but we can just know it beforehand so that there's not as much, uh, you don't have to go through different operators that have one guy like this and one guy like that. We know how we want the crane to perform, and so we use the data to get to that goal. What would you say to an AEM member that's uh, thinking about maybe coming to our next Thinking Forward event? Is uh, this something that's been interesting for you so far? Very interesting. I would say they need to come check it out. After this exchange of insights between industries, I think a lot of the race fans who came to our North Carolina Thinking Forward event will tell you that the highlight of the trip was the tour of Penske's shop. We got to see the floor where their race cars are assembled and the precision equipment used to calibrate those machines down to the millimeter. Also, we saw where the real-life pit crews practice their craft. All in all, it was a great way to wrap up our seven-event Thinking Forward series for the year. More than 250 industry professionals from 160 different companies made it out to one of the seven events in 2018. And on the car ride to the Charlotte airport, I took the opportunity to unpack these events' success with AEM Senior VP of Construction, Mining, and Utilities, Al Severo. I think that uh, one of the most valuable things about the Thinking Forward event series, and as it wraps up its uh, second year, is that it's taken a lot of these concepts and put it in terms that our members can understand. Uh, looking back at some of the events that we've had this year, uh, which would you say are the ones that did that the best? Well, I think the most down-to-earth uh, example was the three examples that were provided by our members at the Pella event where we had Pixar also talking about innovation. Uh, so the workforce uh, was the main topic there, and that, that really is pretty down-to-earth. I think the one that really was out there on the edge the most was Purdue where we went through the nanotechnology and some of the uh, specialized precision possibilities with agriculture 
And then the last one, uh, I guess, that really stands out to me is the Autodesk Innovation Center, where we had uh, David Knight from Turbine talking about uh, merchandising data in the future. In fact, it was great today. Uh, one of the attendees, one of the members that was at this event here in Charlotte, uh, was also and brought up the fact that when we talk about data, he remembered the David Knight discussion back in September. So it's great that some of this stuff is actually uh, sitting in their mind and they're thinking about it on an ongoing basis, not just for the three, four hours uh, that we have the event. You spend a lot of time talking with our members outside of these events as well. In fact, you travel all over the country doing it. What do they tell you as far as the value that they've found in the Thinking Forward initiative? I, you know, I'm going to he just mentioned one thing. Actually, I heard it today at this Thinking Forward event. So we had one of our members. I asked him why they came to this event, and they said, well, frankly, uh, our upper management kind of made a decision that every senior manager needs to get professional development training at least two sessions uh, throughout the course of the year. And they specifically highlighted uh, AEM's Thinking Forward events as an appropriate and uh, well-recognized and approved personal development program. Well, it doesn't get any more ringing than that as far as endorsement goes. That's uh, certainly a feather in the cap of uh, the membership and education teams and yourself and everyone that works on planning these events as well. Uh, Looking ahead to 2019 and the events that we're putting together, we haven't released the whole schedule yet, but there have been a couple of them uh, already put up at aem.org slash think. What sticks out to you about the uh, lineup and the direction that this initiative takes in 2019? Well, the initiative, uh, actually, just uh, for some background, I mean, what we try to do is we have a futures council within AEM, and they kind of provide a little bit of a directional uh, thinking process as to what they feel is important for the organization to move forward and to provide thought leadership with the membership. And so we've kind of taken that as kind of a challenge to deliver those topics. But the 2019 topics, when I think about the locations and the topics that we're going to have, it's just extraordinary. 99% of our members and folks most likely will have never even thought of going to some of these places or been able to get into the facilities. I mean, we're kicking it off in February in Washington, D.C. at the Airbus uh, Innovation Area. Then we move on to uh, Cisco, where we're going to their Innovation Center. Then we go down to the Houston Space Center and talk about, you know, what, what is coming forward. And the topics are really going to continue to kind of highlight what's around the corner. Remember, these are Thinking Forward is the name of the events, so what we are talking about is what do you have to know in order to make decisions for tomorrow. Anything else to add? Anything I didn't ask? Dusty, I, I don't know how many people realize this, so if they are listening, they really ought to go back into your uh, your history file because there's been over, what, 10,000 of these podcasts downloaded in just this year? Yeah. Yeah, we've had uh, well over 10,000 listeners approaching 11 or 12,000 by the time this podcast hits the air, actually. So we've been really impressed by the appetite among our listeners for being able to consume this information in this manner, and, and we're happy to be able to meet that need. 
I think the one thing that uh, I would suggest is if somebody missed one of these Thinking Forward events, uh, might be listening to your podcast and catching some of the highlights, take a look at the speakers that we had. I mean, we had Amber today, and yes, she is sitting in the front seat. Hi, so Amber. I... <laughs> Hi, guys. Amber Mack in the be front nice. seat. John Summers at the wheel, by the way. I, I would really encourage people to look up uh, Amber... I thought her presentation today was phenomenal about what's around the corner. And look at a lot of our speakers. A lot of our speakers are well-known people that have subject matters and topics that you can find on YouTube. Well, and one of my favorite things about it is that while everything that we do is focused on the construction and agriculture equipment industry, sometimes it might just be tangentially. And if you're a polyglot like me or like you, it's a chance to learn about things that might not pertain directly to the industry, but can still be useful for people working in the industry. So, I think that's that's the one cool part people don't catch with some of our thinking forward is we spend between 15 minutes and a half an hour uh, after each of the presentations to let the members around the table talk about what they've heard and talk about what it means to the business. Like, you know, we're talking at Penske Racing today. Right, So they sat there 15, 20, 25 minutes and said, how does this relate? And it's, it's just really cool to listen to each of the tables kind of walk through different perspectives of what they heard and how it's important to them for the future. Oh, great. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat. Not that we had much else to do as we're riding to the airport here in Charlotte. You've heard of uh, comedians in cars getting coffee. This is industry professionals in rentals heading to the airport. But uh, Al Severo, Senior VP of Construction, Mining, and Utilities. John Summers, Amber Mack, thank you so much for joining us on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Bye. Bye. Take care. (laughs) So we previewed a couple of important points there in our interview with Al. First of all, on the next episode of the podcast out in January, we'll have an interview with technology expert and TV celebrity Amber Mack. You heard her chime in from the shotgun seat during our ride to the airport there. And she's a pro at artificial intelligence and future technologies. She gave a great presentation in Mooresville, and I can't wait to share our one-on-one conversation with you next month. And then there's our 2019 AEM Thinking Forward event lineup. We're finalizing more details every day, so you should head over to aem.org think to see the updates that we've got posted there. February 21st at Airbus in D.C., and March 12th at the Houston Space Center are two dates that you need to pencil into your calendar now. 2019 is going to be a great year for Thinking Forward, and you don't want to miss any of these events. Again, it's aem.org think to reserve your spot at one of our 2019 Thinking Forward events. If you want to go back and catch up on the events that you've missed, open up your podcasting app and subscribe to the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. We've got recaps of sessions we held at 3M, M-Hub, Autodesk, many other episodes. Leave a comment or a rating, too, because it helps other industry pros find our podcast. And this is going to wrap up this edition of the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. If you're looking for another great way to stay on top of industry trends, make sure that you check out our twice-weekly e-newsletter, The Industry Advisor. Click over to aem.org news to see what's up and subscribe for regular updates. If you need to get in touch with me directly, shoot me an email at podcast at aem.org. The AEM Thinking Forward podcast is brought to you by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Little Glass Men does the music. We'll see you in 2019. Or if you're like me and you listen to your podcasts like a month after they come out, well, then 
Happy New Year, I guess. For AEM, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.